What are we talking about today? Uh, is every man in Hollywood a dick? Is every man in Hollywood a dick? So, one of the reasons that I haven't been able to find something to kind of talk about is because there's just been so much garbage happening that it's hard to not talk about that garbage. Right? Is the garbage uh, the ceaseless accusations of sexual harassment and assault or that plus everything else? It's that plus everything else. But I would argue that the ceaseless accusations of sexual harassment and assault is a good story. It's a positive story. It's a big win. It is a big win. It's a very weird time to kind of be living through it. In retrospect, it'll be like a watershed moment where I hope, I hope that that's what it turns out to be. Fingers crossed. Um, Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. It's Culture Time. I'm Hemel, and Brian has joined me again. Hi, Hemel. Thanks for having me back. I'm very excited to be here. You know who's also really excited for you to be here? Uh, your sister, Pyle? All of our friends on Facebook. Right, yes. <laughs> All 10 of our loyal listeners who argue on Facebook. Uh, and I, I promised that last time we would give shout-outs to... Uh, Oh, yeah, we would send T-shirts to all of our fans, but we don't have any T-shirts yet. So for everybody that leaves positive Facebook messages for us, know that we appreciate them. And, and you're that... going on the list for future T-shirts. That's once, right. Once Hemel has merch. <laughs> once we have merch, you're first in line. You know, I used to be in a, a punk rock band here in Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. our friend Mike, who was in a full-time, very successful death metal band. Darkest Mike. Darkest Mike of Darkest Hour. Used to laugh and laugh and laugh at our ineptitude and naivete because we didn't have merch. <laughs> he was like, why don't you guys well, you guys go do shows and you don't have t-shirts. You'd you have like, hey, I'll dub you a cassette. And he just thought that was the funniest thing. He thought we were so... Unforgivably I, stupid for not having merch. I can't believe that I wanted that I launched this podcast without merch. Rookie mistake. It's a rookie mistake. Um, I feel like this podcast always comes back to questions of capitalism. Yes. Um, we are interrogating capitalism by interrogating the culture. Well, God, that's so good. Maybe that should be the tagline. No, it's going <laughs> to chase off nine of our ten <laughs> listeners. They're like, boo! I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> that sounds stupid. Talking about superheroes. <laughs> Um, but but back to the conversation. So yeah, one of the reasons that you have not heard from me or I have been promising to send you topics is that the only thing I can think of to talk about is just basically what's happening in the entertainment industry. I know that you're not a huge follower of celebrity gossip, but you can't escape uh, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and the waterfall effect yeah. of sexual assault allegations uh, like the ramifications that are happening not only in Hollywood, but now slowly spreading throughout media as yep. well. So it's been, I think... Um, a what? cleansing fire, I would call it. That's a very good way to put it. But it's been happening for, what, about a month? It's been about a month since Weinstein? Uh, that seems crazy. It feels like it's been three days. Yeah, in our never-ending news cycle. But the thing is that everybody has already known that this is how Hollywood operates. Sure. Right. I think it's less circumspect in media industry, but everybody knows that specific people, specific guys are going to be trash heaps. I don't know anybody in Hollywood, but like guys like Harvey Weinstein and mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey have this like outward facade of liberal elitism, but behind the scenes they're behaving in totally circumspect ways as opposed to what they're saying, like, publicly. Yeah, well, like, uh, uh, Leon Wieseltier, saying his name wrong, I'm sure, from yeah. the Republic, and uh, 
the Oreskes, the guy from NPR. Like, yeah, they're this very genteel liberal intelligentsia, and mm-hmm. they're, you know, carrying on treating women like garbage for 20 years. So my question for you, does anything that come has come out, Weinstein, Spacey, right now those are the two big names. Have you changed any of your viewing habits? Has that really affected anything? Uh, and, and relevant to our recent conversation about how problematic, the pers- yeah, 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 how yeah. that affect the art itself. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I I don't know if I'm watching a Harvey Weinstein produced movie or not. Like, I mean, I guess I I would know if I paid attention. Well, so I will say that Kevin Spacey has always been creepy, right? Always just like he had just kind of always plays a creepy guy. Yeah, that's his that's his that's his brand. That's his brand. Creepy guy. But now it feels way too creepy. Yeah. Like it because he's a specific person. The Weinstein example is a lot different because now I just feel sketchy kind of supporting that level of exploitation cuz the movies themselves are still really good. Sure. But are you passively supporting um are you passively supporting an industry that was kind of built on this kind of institutional sexism? But like, I, and I feel like that's you would not be able to engage with commerce or art in any way yes. if you were trying to be, yeah, if you're trying to hold yourself to that standard. So, yeah. like to me, it's all right. Now we're, and I feel stupid to say this, but now we know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, many many of us knew before, but. Now it's a thing to be shunned about. Now it's a thing that's out in the open. Now it's a thing that is having consequences for this parade of assholes. So maybe, and hopefully, now it's a thing that it, it won't be something that people can trade in, and it won't mm-hmm. be something that's an open secret. I don't know. What do you think? I I think it's weird because we talked a little bit last time about how, I think for the first episode, right, about how you cannot divorce art from capitalism. But when we think about that, we're always thinking about the commercial acts aspects of it right we're thinking about how much money something makes and like market considerations that go into making the art but we so rarely think about the exploitation of labor and that is the one thing that I've been thinking about all week is that like wow not I mean we've been worried about I don't want to say worried about the wrong thing but so much of the discourse is focused on like well how does how does capitalism affect the art versus how is capitalism exploiting the workforce right. and there's so many women who mm-hmm. have just been like paraded through and and men too um as people that have had to sacrifice all this for like art that they've wanted to make and it's weird to think of like you know i don't know olivia munn or i'm trying to think of some other women that have been in the news for this as yeah. exploited labor but they are they mm-hmm. absolutely are and you know the system you're talking about put harvey weinstein and probably a lot more like him in positions where they had that kind of power over people I don't think about actors and actresses as exploited labor. Like we talked about. um, Yeah, they're carefree millionaires. Exactly. But they're still exploited labor. So we're talking about problematic faves. And I think the example we both were like, ding, 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 was Bill Cosby. Like Mm -hmm. whatever. The Cosby Mm -hmm. show, it was great. And it was an important watershed moment in American culture. But you wouldn't want to turn it on tomorrow and watch it because uh, Bill Cosby, he's a monster, as we now know. Do you feel that way about a Kevin Spacey movie? Would you, if a Kevin Spacey movie that you like came on tomorrow, would you turn it off? So I wouldn't turn off Seven because he plays like a despicable <laughs> creep in Seven. So I'll be like, all right, I'll watch that. Uh, I so never, as long as he's a villain, it's acceptable. I honestly, I've I've never watched House of Cards, so I'd be curious to see what people think about that because I don't know what kind of. I think he plays like a general asshole in that one too. Yeah, he plays a, a murderous asshole. Yeah, so maybe American Beauty, where you're asked to kind of sympathize with him, that feel. Well, that's especially creepy now because. Right. He like tries to have sex with a sixteen-year-old or however old she's a minor in that movie. Um, So now it just feels like like way too real. Method acting. Yeah. What about you? 
I, I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's easy. It's it, to, I saw someone on Twitter saying, like, please, Tom Hanks, don't be outed as a sexual predator. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, but so it's easy for me to be like, oh, I wouldn't. I would turn it off and F that guy because I don't really care. I can't think of any Kevin Spacey movie that I love, even yeah. if I could think of some that, you know, I've enjoyed or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't have an investment in it. But, yeah, if an artist or an actor or director that I loved turned out to be this terrible asshole, I don't, I don't know what I'd do. And I don't know if it would make a difference, right? Like if I don't watch, oh God, I don't know, Midnight in the Garden of a Good and Evil. Right. That's a good one. He's Never in that. Seen it. Um, yeah, like if I choose not to watch it anymore, mm-hmm. what, what am I doing? I'm not. You're not. You're not changing anything. I think it's not. Not so much about making a point. It, it's the ick factor. It's the yeah. ick factor. I'm just like, oh, I can't look at that person without being reminded of all the horrible stuff that they've done. Right. Um. All right. We did decide though that because everything has been a garbage heap flaming garbage heap yes flaming garbage heap that we would talk about pop culture things that we like yes i have a little list yeah you came super prepared well i'd like to talk about that um earlier listeners i uh, sat down in the chair here in hemel's uh, lavish podcasting studio and said oh I, and thought to myself oh i forgot to make any notes right so i wrote i scribbled Literally five words on a post-it note, <laughs> and this is the second time Hemmel's referenced me having, quote, lots of notes, which tells you something about how unprepared she is. <laughs> well, one, I'm super unprepared, but also now I feel incredibly inadequate with whatever I have to say. Because you don't have literally five words written on a post-it note. I mean, it's less than you have, so yeah. So uh, I will plug a thing that, uh, because it is relevant to the ongoing conversation a little bit, in that... Uh, there's a new Noah Baumbach movie that's on Netflix. I think it's one of, it's a Netflix original. It's direct to that. It's called mm. Myrowitz Stories. Oh my god! Uh, well, <laughs> well, I want to come back to your reaction here because uh, yeah, I, I can. I've watched his movies. I enjoyed yeah. them. I was like, oh, and uh, Wendy, my lovely wife, uh, one night she's like, let's watch something funny. I don't want to mm-hmm. watch something with people getting shot. Let's watch a funny movie. Yeah. I was like, oh, here this new one. We should watch this. It's going to be funny. And I laughed out loud all the way through. I thought it was great. And she said, why are you watching this? This is terrible. <laughs> it's so stressful. I'm so uncomfortable. Uh, she would leave the room and say, don't pause it. Please don't pause it. <laughs> and then I went into work the next day, and I was talking to a friend of mine, a coworker who's mm-hmm. a woman. And I don't know how it came up, but I was like, oh, we watched this. It's so funny. And she's like, oh, my God. we just My, my boyfriend, I just watched that. She had the exact same reaction as Wendy. She said, like, it was so uncomfortable. I was so, like... I was so stressful watching these people's lives, and I was like, no, but it was so funny. So, yes, that's what my boyfriend said. He was laughing his head off at this movie. Okay, so, and that's so funny because that was my reaction was just oh, to cringe. I haven't, it? no, 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 no. Oh, okay. The thing is that I haven't seen it, but I cringe just like <laughs> reading about it and looking at it. I'm just like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> what, what about it makes it so off putting? Um, doesn't it star Ben Stiller or something? It stars uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman okay. and Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing Adam mm-hmm. Sandler. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Adam Sandler in anything where he was remotely enjoyable. He's just like, he's yeah. just that shouting man child all yeah, the time. I just, I just don't like him. But he's actually, this is the first time I've ever seen him in something where he's great like he's this like sort of awkward vulnerable he does a great job what what is this about uh dustin hoffman plays this aging sculptor who uh thinks he's more successful than he was he's sort of this minor artist and he sort of trades on this Mm -hmm. reputation and he's an asshole Mm -hmm. and uh he kind of ruined his children and now they're adults and Mm -hmm. he's got some sort of medical crisis so they're back in his life and they're Mm -hmm. all together again and ben stiller is his rich agent california kid and adam sandler is his sort of unemployed divorced kid and then he has a daughter who uh is less of a character in the movie but it's them sort of coming to terms with his assholery and still trying to take care of him and then 
there's, there's this great scene where, you know what, you have to watch the movie. There's this scene where they get in a fist fight, Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler, and uh, there's at some dinner, dinner honoring him, and they have to go speak, and they're, 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 they're all bloody from their fight, and they're disheveled, and they start breaking down and crying, so <laughs> all this emotional stuff. And I'm laughing just thinking about this scene. It's so funny, and Wendy hated it. She just came back to that scene as specifically being something she disliked watching intensely. My initial just like being off-put by it is like the cast of characters like Adam Sandler is not somebody I enjoy watching even if he is different in this Ben Stiller always plays weird neurotic guy yep. and, and it, he just all there's his mere presence in a movie tends he to stress me playing off weird but, neurotic guy in this movie yeah so those are like two big strikes against it but also um is that it's just what I see a lot of which is just uh, male protagonists like white upper middle class male protagonists dealing with white upper middle class yeah. male protagonist problems rich and like, upper middle class yeah. people in a very closed circuit world exactly sure. where I'm just like I, I don't really need to watch this but yes that's and Noah Baumbach I'm not really sure I've watched anything that he's done he did like he's one of those directors who just tells the same story like he did the squid and the whale and yeah. Francis Ha it's I all these any of these yeah, yeah it's these you know not they're not like art films right they're yeah. like indie literary respectability kind of movies but they're all about this sort of cloistered upper middle class New Mm -hmm. York intellectual artist world Mm -hmm. Um, that's not my thing it's not my background or experience Uh, but you know good on him that's that's what he knows that's what he does yeah to me the problem isn't that like oh he shouldn't make those movies it's like yeah we should have we should have more we shouldn't just have those kind of movies yeah I I hear you no no problem with him not making different movies but I can I'm completely on board with Wendy here (laughs) He's, uh, I would call him either the poor man's Wes Anderson or the thinking man's Wes Anderson. Well, that's a good comparison. I don't know if Wes Anderson would appreciate either of those. <laughs> or Noah Baumbach, for that matter. Uh, is it my turn to go? Yeah. What have you, what have you been enjoying, Hemel? Um, wait, wait. Can you tell us about your new shelves? Is that something <laughs> I, you've been enjoying? I Yes, I have been enjoying them. But one of the reasons that I've not been engaged so much in popular culture things, one, because it's the World Series. So we've been watching baseball. Oh, like right, the every, baseball. Yeah, it's postseason baseball. So we've been watching a lot of baseball. And I've enjoyed it greatly. Uh, but what have you been enjoying outside of Major League Baseball and your new shelves? So one of the ways that I have like been de-stressing from work is uh, Cheers. Have you ever watched Cheers? <laughs> I watched it originally. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? So, Roundabout, I've been enjoying The Good Place quite a bit. Have you seen that show? Uh, you know, I haven't seen it. I meant to see it. Uh, Wendy watched the first episode and, and gave it a thumbs down, but I'm, I'm going to try it because I keep hearing people say it's good. I, I think you might like it. I can see why, knowing Wendy, I can see why she wouldn't. And it actually takes about six episodes of like commitment to, mm. to really get into it because it's enjoyable, but it's not like laugh out loud funny. So you're on a Ted Danson kick is what I'm taking away. That is, this. and that's exactly what it is, is that The Good Place, Ted Danson is on it, and I just noticed that Netflix has cheers and so I randomly started watching it aside from like some sexist jokes here and there and people smoking a lot that show really stands Uh, up I I remember it fondly but when cheers was originally airing I was way too young right way too young to really understand this and really kind of understand the weird pathos of an ex-ball player who now owns a bar and is struggling with like being a rehabilitated alcoholic, but also his declining career and how I didn't realize he was an alcoholic. That's, he, that's in this part of the show. Yeah, it's like that's like you know he's a recovering alcoholic. He like and that's the reason that he had to quit baseball. 
Um, and the chemistry between Ted Danson and Shelley Long is phenomenal. Like the show is like 40 years old and it's still incredible. <laughs> it's not 40 years old. I don't know how old it is, but it's old. It's like mid 80s, early 80s. I think 82, something like that. So I've I've been watching the, the first season and it's it's been so fun. Like it's just been a palate cleanser. We uh not that like a year or two ago we uh, uh mostly Wendy but I was with her or started watching Roseanne because they had it on Netflix, mm-hmm. um yeah and it was a much better show that I remembered but the production values mm. and just like the direction of of sitcoms from that era were so it was almost painful yeah so just does Cheers suffer from that too no Cheers is. I understand that after 11 seasons, it probably got uneven, but the first season, and I've watched about about 10 episodes of the first season, the production values are mid-80s sitcom production values, but they're not terrible. It's just you know what to expect, right? But the pacing and the dialogue is so quick, and the jokes are still so funny that you don't really notice it. Do you know who the longest-running character is in the history of network television? Um, is it Frasier? It's Frasier! <laughs> Because yes. Kelsey Grammer played Frasier over yeah. the course of two very long-running TV shows. Uh, he, I haven't even gotten to the Frasier parts yet. I, Woody Harrelson, Harrelson isn't even on it, so I don't know when he comes up. Huh. Yeah. What uh, about you? Well, what else have I been enjoying? Oh, here's I got one. It's on my note, my pad here. One it's of on my five notepad. words. Um, uh, do you know the band The Mountain Goats? You probably do. I love them. They're great. They're a fantastic band. We're actually going to go see them uh, <gasps> when they're in D.C. next week. Or last week, depending on when you put this podcast out on the internet. <laughs> um, so anyway, there's a podcast called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. It's mm. the guy from Welcome to Night Vale, uh, which I don't listen to. Our friend Meredith does. I won't try to describe it because I'm sure I would mess it up. But he, a uh, big Mountain Goats fan, as every smart person should be. And every so every episode of the podcast, he takes a different song from the album All Hail West Texas. Ooh. He plays the song. He interviews John Darneal, mm-hmm. who is the, the Mountain Goats songwriter, about that particular song. Um, and then in the couple episodes I've listened to, there's another guest who comes on to talk about it. Uh, and then a like a cool indie rock artist of the moment covers the song. Like the first episode, uh, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me uh, covers the best ever death metal band out of Denton. Uh, and it's been really great so far. And it's weird hearing John Darnell talk about his own work, and they sort of address that. Um, so I would recommend that podcast mm-hmm. if you're fans of the Mountain Goats. And also, uh, what I learned from listening to it is that John Darnell, I never would have guessed, is a staunch Christian. What? Yeah. Talks about Jesus, talks about loving the Lord, but in exactly the way you would imagine John Darnell would talk about this stuff. Which is very funny and... Uh, but like but human, right? He's yeah, talking very about like, human. You know, the humanity behind this, and he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's got fantastic politics, mm-hmm. uh, which you know if you followed him on Twitter, and yeah, he's... He I do follow him on Twitter, he's, so he's that's why Twitter, it yeah. surprises me. And I think that's... You def- would never know. I know, and I, and I feel bad about that because I automatically assume that all Christians are crazy right-wing conservatives. <laughs> I know. So, I do the exact same thing. Sorry about that. I'm very close-minded in that way. He, on the one episode I listened to, just listened to, uh, John Green, is the young adult author, is mm-hmm. on, uh, and he's great too. And John Darnell starts talking about God, and John Green's like, yes, right there with you. I'm, you know, they're just a bunch of Christians. What's your favorite Mountain Goat song? Well, that's a ridiculous question. I know, I know. What would you say to such a ridiculous question? I I say that I have several, um, but you've got to have something that, even if it's not your favorite song, a line or something that you find so utterly hilarious and great, but you know everybody else would would just think that you're a crazy person. So if I had to pick a favorite Mountain Goat song, it would be Up the Wolves from The Sunset Tree. I don't think I know that one. Well, that's a a crime. Stop immediately. Stop the podcast. (laughs) We're going to listen to it.
there's gonna come a day when you feel better your eyes are free and easy on that day and float from branch to branch lighter than the air just when that day is coming who can say who can say our mother has been absent ever since we founded Rome but there's gonna be a party when the wolf comes home all right, we're back. We listened to Up the Wolves. What's so great about Oh, there's a million things that are great about it, but I'll pick two things. Okay. Uh, so the whole lyrical conceit of the song is that it's sung from the perspective of Castor and Pollux, okay. who uh, the mythical figures who founded Rome mm-hmm. and were raised by a wolf. And they're sort of singing this song, and the chorus is, is them talking to their mother. Yeah. And it's... It's it's a little almost silly because that's the conceit, but it's there's so much pathos in it because they're they're expecting her to come back. <laughs> uh, the the chorus is our mother has been absent ever since we founded Rome, but there's going to be a party when the wolf comes home. Oh, and it, it breaks your heart, right? Because yeah. they're they're living their lives and yeah. they're and they want her to be proud yeah. of them, but she's not coming back. We right. know that she's a wolf, and at the very end of the song, just as the song is fading out. Uh, John Darnell gives this strangled yelp, like he was singing in the the recording studio and just couldn't contain himself any longer. That's amazing. It's a great song. That's amazing, and now I definitely want to listen to it. I'm going to pause for a second because I'm Googling the lyrics to my favorite Mountain Goat song. Uh, Nothing makes for more scintillating podcasting (laughs) than listening to someone do a web search. Hey, that's what what post is for, okay? Chill out for a second. Uh, So Um, our our mutual friend Sarah Lyon once uh, went to see the Mountain Goats, and knowing I was a fan as well, uh, knew I was going to see them later on the same tour, and mm -hmm. he was playing a new song that was as yet unreleased, which I think was actually this year off Sunset Tree, and this line stuck in her her head and she remembered it days later and, and texted me like you have mm-hmm. to go to this show find out what the song is because the line that stuck out in her head was he was referring to himself and like a high school girlfriend and he called them twin high maintenance machines yes is that what you were thinking <laughs> yeah what the hell seriously <laughs> no that's that's not what i was thinking but twin high maintenance machines is from um uh i'm gonna make it through this year yes 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 that's, yes, it. that's, that's the song the song, song is song. i'm gonna make it through this year and that's the song that like after my mom died was on like effing repeat in my car every single day oh, on man. my way home from work it's not it's not something to be sad about because like if you've listened to them to the mountain goats it's, it's triumphant like, it's like a very triumphant you know he's like i've got all this shit happening I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. It's a very, very good song. It's a good, that, that, that is his finest album. Well, my favorite is obviously Going to Georgia, which is just fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to say that what would make this podcast better is if it didn't feature you or me talking. It was just Mountain Goat songs. I think this is what's going to happen. And, I mean, I think every podcast would be improved by being replaced <laughs> with just Mountain Goat songs. So so that, so that um, I'm going to make it through this year is fantastic. But like my favorite line from... Uh, going to Georgia, and it's just so simple. It's the most remarkable thing about you standing in the doorway is that it's you and that you're standing in the doorway. Like, it's just so fucking good. He's, he's incredible. He's a, he's a, the best student we have of humanity. He is really good. All right, well, now we have to go home and listen to a lot of mountain goats. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, what else have you got? Aside from watching Cheers reruns, uh, I have been. That was a weird one, by the way. I was I was not, not no, right? expecting that. I, I told you I can't deal with anything heavy. Like all my pop culture consumption recently has just got to be super like low key. Are there other Ted Danson vehicles you you have on your list? Sadly, Three no. Men and a baby, maybe. I I find Ted Danson uncomfortably attractive. 
Like, oh. I just, I'm like, I, he's not cute, <laughs> but. He's, he's handsome he, in that, like, 80s yeah. TV star way. Yeah, he's handsome in that 80s TV star way. But he really blows your skirts up, is what you're saying. <laughs> I, I'm, I, it's very weird huh. for me to All try right. to parse this attraction to Ted Danson suddenly. And in his new show, The Good the Good Place? Yeah, The Good he's, Place. Uh, he's an older gentleman at this point, right? Is oh, he yeah, still, yeah. He's still uh, yeah. he's a silver fox? He's a silver fox. He's a All handsome right. guy still. He aged very well. Um, so in addition to watching Cheers, I've very, very slowly been making my way through, uh, Hemingway's A Movable Feast. And it's been in my back forever and I will pick it up and A I'll- companion work to Cheers in so many <laughs> ways. It's, I, I'll pick it up every now and then and like read a chapter and then put it away and pick it back up. I'm the world's slowest reader. But I read the other night, I read the chapter where he talks about F. Scott Fitzgerald. Were you an English major? Nope. You weren't? No, I was a communications major. What? I didn't have to do any homework. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. So if you're an English major, like, this is the thing that English majors talk a lot about is, like, Hemingway and Fitzgerald and this chapter from A Movable Feast. But this is the first time I read it, and I love Hemingway, and so it's taken me so long to, to get to this point. It was so utterly, utterly delightful that it's just, like, I think about it, and it's been making me happy for three days. Huh. He tells this, like, incredible story about how in... Uh, how he met Fitzgerald and how Fitzgerald was such an asshole and took him on this like ridiculous road trip in France to go pick up a car that he and his wife had had abandoned, but then like left him at the train station and then like pretended he was sick the entire time they were there and was just this like complete asshole the entire time. And he said that this was not a trip designed for somebody who easily angers. <laughs> so so he's just like, you know, he's just given the business to Fitzgerald this entire time. And then the end of the chapter is Hemingway finally reads Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. And he's like, whatever Scott, like whatever an asshole he is, his talent is so mm. great that we all have to support like whatever comes with that. And it's just like an incredible, hilarious funny story and the end is just so awesome and tragic with like so much pathos i once abandoned a car it was a buick skylark <laughs> and i was living with a uh, friend chris walker at the time and he was uh he was angry with me for abandoning the car and he was certain that i was going to get my comeuppance he's like you know what this is going to bite you in the ass and he was just he was just smugly waiting for me for the bill to come due um never happened I never got in the lick of trouble for it. Where did you abandon it? Uh, Where did I abandon it? We were living. Well, it didn't work anymore. The Buick Skylark is the. uh, Once again, I'm going to rule a corporate sponsor out by saying (laughs) that the Buick Skylark was the worst possible car you could ever own. (laughs) I replaced everything in that car except the seat belts over the course of a relatively few years. So it had stopped working and I hated it and I just left it in the driveway of a house we were living in in Falls Church, uh, which had been sold to a developer. So this crazy old lady who owned it was like, hey, guys, yeah. you have three months to get out. See yeah. ya. Um, and uh, we moved away, and I just left the car there and never went back for it. And I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> there's like a high-rise there now. It might be underneath it. That is hilarious. Uh, she probably stripped it and sold it for parts. And no, made she, a lot of she, money. Never came, she came by the house, told us we had to be out in three months, and never came back. She didn't even cash our final rent checks. She's just, she was gone. Nice. Uh, was what's there, your last one? Was, oh, what, what, anything else? I did have one other thing on here. Um, this but what were you like, going to say? I feel like I cut you off. You were going to say something. Well, is there? A, I feel like there is, there's got to have been a Ted Danson show or several between Cheers and The Good Place. Did he try movies for a while? 
Well, he did the Three Men and a Little Baby oh, series. That's There's a fantastic <laughs> no, movie. It can't be. No, are you no way. kidding? I mean, I haven't seen it in however many years. No, no, no. It's fantastic. I can't believe they haven't made a remake of it yet. I'm all on board. Uh, Ted Danson, Steve Gutenberg, mm-hmm. and Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck? Probably not. Burt Reynolds, right? I mean, there's no mm, way to tell from wait. this vantage point. Hold on. That's why we have Google. And you're saying that it was a fantastic movie. Yeah, I and remember. you're saying that in all seriousness. I remember loving it, and I know it was, yes, it's Tom Selleck. Wait, wait, hold on. There's a huge gulf between <laughs> it is a fantastic movie and I remember loving it. Well, I'm, okay, you know how we talked about this earlier, how uh, cultural products, like, because they exist in your memory as something, can be either good or bad but your first experience of them sure. is like objectively this was maybe a terrible piece of art or a terrible like piece of, you and you were 10 it. but you saw it and you loved it so like three men and a baby fucking classic dude <laughs> i'm in i loved it and when was the last time you saw it i don't know probably when i was 13 <laughs> i think you should put it back in your queue and your your current fed dancing face. no i i enjoy it way too much don't take this away from but, me brian why do you want to kill it you're, you're right i have you're right. so little left yeah I, it's it's just rude of me uh, but so he's not a TV star. I would rather he's not a movie star. He is a TV star. Yeah. And even if he was in a couple movies, I feel like that's his that's his bread and butter. There has to have been sitcoms. I mean, I can't imagine him in a dramatic role. So there has to have been Ted Danson sitcoms between now and then. Um, I don't know. Has there been? Well, you've got the internet in front of you. Well, pull, that's pull what I'm up. doing. I'm doing. I'm IMDBing Ted Danson. For those of you listening at home, <laughs> you can look at your own internet and find something more interesting than this podcast oh, at the moment. Wait, wait, wait. This says that he was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. All right. He he's been on like a lot of. Uh, he was on Damages. Do you remember that one from 2007 to Faintly. 2010? But there must have been a Ted Danson star vehicle there. He's Ted Danson. Oh, geez. I don't know. Do you? There's a show called Becker. Oh, that yes, that was the Ted Danson show. Oh, I remember. I don't remember that show. I remember he plays like an irascible psychologist or a curmudgeonly doctor, or <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it says like I remember it, it existing. So Cheers, it, holy crap! Cheers went off the air in 1993, and then this is all going to get cut from the podcast, by the way. <laughs> and then there's Becker in 1998. Um, you know what? We could pivot to being a Becker fan <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Because I feel like... (laughs) I've never... I don't even remember that show. (laughs) Well, I feel like that is a very small audience, but I guarantee it's a a fervent one. (laughs) And there's probably... It's probably an underserved audience as well. I don't remember that show at all. Like, there's 10 podcasts about Silicon Valley, but there can't be any about Becker. We should just do We can watch an episode of Becker every week and dissect (laughs) it and talk about it. Wait, so you actually remember this show? (laughs) Oh, I remember its existence, and I remember... In my mind, a scene of Ted Danson like coming onto a cheap-looking set and like fussing at somebody. That's <laughs> all I got. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty good. Uh... And maybe Christina Applegate was on it. No, now I'm now I'm just making stuff up. Now you're just making stuff. I up. am just making stuff up. What's your What's your third one? Uh, my third one, which feels like a real come down from the Ted Danson stuff, um, <laughs> Super Chunk. Probably my all-time favorite bands. If any, if any band ever warred with the Mountain Goats for for love in my heart, it's Super Chunk. Um, and they just put out uh, recently two singles, and each single was to benefit a progressive cause. One I think was Planned Parenthood, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so go find those. They're on iTunes. They're two bucks. You get a brand new Super Chunk song, then they cover like an old punk song. But I was talking with uh, a friend of ours not long ago about how somehow Super Chunk, which is like a twenty-year-old like indie rock band, has stayed relevant. 
Like they're still like not that people they're today still would know together. Him. They're still together. They still put out music and like somehow they're still cool. Like I mean maybe that's yes. just to me, but like they still feel like like they have great politics and they create great stuff and like uh, two of them still run Merge Records where mm-hmm. we get the Mountain Goods from and all like they have such incredible taste. Yeah. And like there's very few anything I can think of anymore that is a tastemaker in a way that like Merge Records is, right? Like I know that whatever it is, it'll be worth checking out because I have so much trust in like the judgment of those people. Mm-hmm. And I just think the fact that they're still putting out Super Chunk singles at random is it's fantastic. I, I love it. I don't even remember being a big fan of Super Chunk, but I know that every time I hear their name, I'm like, oh yeah, those guys. <laughs> like, and the man, and what does that fa- mean? What well, do you mean by that? No, I feel like the fact that they've managed to have that reputation and hold on to that like, for twenty uh, years, for twenty years, hold on to that authenticity. They never sold out, and they never got stale. It. Um, is is incredible. Like that kind of creative longevity is crazy. Yeah. How do you? How do you? And how does anybody do that? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Uh, uh, do I have one more? I only. I mean, I kind of said the good place. I said Cheers. Becker, three minute a baby. There's a theme here. <laughs> baby, this is a Ted Danson podcast. Yeah, what if Ted Danson played Hemingway in a like a heartwarming Oscar bait movie? Uh, Brian, thanks for hanging out. Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed uh, uh, our pivot to being a Ted Danson fan <laughs> podcast. I'm going to bone up on on all of his properties, and we're going to really get into it next week. Bye, guys.